And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the Skype line with us today is Dr. Michael Brennan, and he is Hurricane Specialist Unit Branch Chief for the National Hurricane Center. Dr. Brennan, it's an honor to have you on with us today. Great to be with you, Dan. How are you? Good, good. Hey, um, about 10 years ago in our area here in upstate New York, uh, we got hit with Hurricane Irene right around August the 28th. And um, I remember what that was like, but let me ask you this. Uh, when is the official time of the Atlantic hurricane season? Well, the, the official season runs from June 1st through November 30th, but uh, we certainly can get activity before and after those dates. But that, that sort of captures the, the peak of the, uh, the activity or the bulk of the activity we get each year with the, the most activity coming in the months of August, September, and October. Ah, yeah. Okay. Well, it was quite a quite a hit for us back in uh, 2011. Uh, we're in an area where there's many trees, and the ground had gotten kind of soft and full of water, and there was so many trees on our property that came down, probably close to 50 trees, and some of these are very large oak trees. So it was a massive cleanup. Um what is usually the most dangerous part of the hurricane? Is it uh, the wind or the water? Well, usually it's the water, especially for people that live along the coast. Storm surge, which is the push of ocean water inland by the winds of the hurricane, is the the uh, the, the hazard that can you know, cause the greatest loss of life, and and sort of is is generally why hurricane evacuations are conducted in the United States. As you get away from the coastline, or even at the coastline, but also well inland, the rainfall and flooding from that rainfall typically is the second biggest hazard in terms of loss of life. But wind damage can certainly be a, a problem, as you noted, from Irene, well inland, uh, and at the coast as well from you know hurricanes and tropical storms, especially once you get into the, into the northeastern United States. Uh, when you have high winds, typically they occur in the winter and there aren't leaves on the trees. Yeah. Uh, you have a hurricane and the leaves are still on the trees. There's a much greater wind load on the on the tree and causes a lot more stress, especially if you've had heavy rain and the ground's soft. Like you mentioned during Irene, the, the trees are much more likely to fall and you can have a lot more in the way of you know limb and, and tree damage that can cause power outages, You know, trees on homes, trees on cars that can cause damage and even fatalities. Yeah. Now, do you guys there at the Hurricane Center have kind of an outlook for the next couple of months as to what we may expect? I'm sure there's a lot of stuff that goes into it, so it's more than just a mere educated guess. But what what do you think is going to happen in terms of hurricanes? Well, it looks like we're going to have another you know busy hurricane season. We're expecting a, a range between about 13 and 20 named storms. So that would be at 13 to 20 systems that at least become tropical storms. Oh. And of those, we're expecting 6 to 10 to become hurricanes with 3 to 5 becoming major hurricanes. Cool. So that's certainly above active, you know, above normal activity in the basin. Now, you know, our seasonal forecast doesn't really get into, you know, where those storms are going to occur because that that is really determined by where they form and the sort of the weather patterns that are going on at that time. And that's not really predictable, you know, beyond a few days in advance. So the message we send to everybody is regardless of, of what the seasonal forecast is every season, you have to be prepared as if you're going to be affected. And, and certainly, as we saw last year in 2020, 
almost the entire United States, Gulf Coast, Atlantic Coast states, Puerto Rico, Virgin Islands, almost everybody was affected by at least one tropical cyclone <laughs> uh, last year, given the, the level of activity we had. Yeah, what kind of uh, tools do you use to make this sort of a prediction? Well, there there are a few sort of there's sort of climate scale signals that are, are helpful in trying to predict the seasonal uh, hurricane activity. One of the most important factors is the El Nino El Nino La Nina cycle in the in the Pacific, where you know El Nino is an abnormal uh, unusual warming of the eastern Pacific waters. And that usually leads to less favorable conditions for Atlantic hurricane activity. And on the other hand, La Nina is a cooling of the eastern Pacific waters and generally is associated with more favorable conditions for Atlantic hurricanes in terms of less vertical wind shear, uh, weaker trade winds, and sort of just a more favorable pattern overall. We also look at things like the overall uh, sea surface temperature pattern in the Atlantic Basin. Are there areas where the, the ocean waters are warmer or cooler than normal? And so even small changes in that sort of large-scale ocean patterns can you know, mean, the, mean the difference between a, a busy season or just an average season. We also look at rainfall patterns over West Africa, uh, ocean circulation patterns. And then we also have the ability to run very long-range models that go out months in advance and they can try to predict the overall state of the atmosphere, and we can use those models to count up how many storms form, you know, during the hurricane season in those predictions. So we sort of put all that information together to come up with the seasonal outlook. And as you said, it's a, it is, it's, it's, it's an area of ongoing scientific research. There are certainly seasons where the seasonal forecast doesn't work out very well because we don't have a great grasp on all the factors that come into play, or we're not able to predict how La Nina or El Nino are going to evolve. Right now, for example, we're in what's called a neutral pattern where we don't have either El Nino or La Nina, and we could be trending towards a La Nina later in the season. So if that were to develop, hmm. we'd be more likely to see these sort of higher-end numbers within the ranges we provided here. Do you, do you remember um, back during Irene, that was 2011, was La Nina a factor there or, or El Nino or one of those? I'd have to go back and look. I don't remember off the top of my head. <laughs> That's fine. It's been, a, it's been a while. I remember Irene really well, but I don't remember that what the sort of seasonal, yeah. you know, activity of that year, you know, 2011 was sort of, you know, we had we had a lot of storms. We had 19 named storms that year. So it was a relatively, oh. you know, busy season overall, although we didn't have a lot of activity in the western part of the basin that affected the United States. Irene was the only hurricane that affected the US that year. Uh, most of the other hurricane activity was farther east, out near and east of Bermuda over the uh, open Atlantic. Well, let's talk just a little bit today. Our guest is Dr. Michael Brennan from the National Hurricane Center. Um, how do uh, these hurricanes typically track? Sometimes they go out to sea, sometimes they come inland, right? Right. You know, hurricanes are generally moved around sort of like a cork in a stream where the hurricane moves around in the large scale flow and wind patterns and the atmosphere around it. So it all has to do with, you know, where does the storm form and what are the steering currents look and how they how they uh, change and how they move the storm around during its life cycle. So sort of the you know, very typical peak of season, long range or your know, long uh, life, long lived hurricane track is a you know, system that develops out in the eastern Atlantic from a tropical wave that moves off the west coast of Africa, and it moves, you know, generally westward to west-northwestward across the tropical Atlantic, and will begin to turn northwestward and northward as it reaches the western edge of the, edge of the Bermuda High. 
Now, that can mean the difference between a system turning north, uh, you know, and passing near east of Bermuda or moving farther west and coming towards Florida or up the U.S. east coast. So there are very subtle changes that can occur earlier in the storm's life cycle with how it moves. Does it move farther west when it's a weaker system? And then it can get farther west before it recurves. Or we can have different changes in the steering pattern that might not allow it to recurve and might force the storm westward toward the uh, Western Caribbean Sea or into the Gulf of Mexico. So it all depends on the steering patterns at the time. You know, in other typical tracks, there would be systems that form in the Caribbean or Gulf of Mexico and then move northward or northwestward towards central, uh, towards Mexico or the United States Gulf Coast. So uh, it sort of depends on what time of year you're looking at. Those long track Atlantic sort of classic Cape Verde hurricanes are typically uh, found from, you know, mid to August into mid to late September. Now, you guys, uh, during uh, a hurricane uh, time frame, you become extremely busy. Um, have there been times when you'd have to hunker down there at the hurricane center and not even be able to go home? Yeah, I think the last time we really had to, had a long shelter in place here was during Hurricane Irma in 2017 that uh, affected much of Florida, including South Florida and the Miami area where our office is located. I think we sheltered in place for two nights hmm. in the facility. Um, you know, there were power outages. It certainly wasn't safe for people to be out traveling uh, during the, the height of the storm. And Irma was a very slow moving storm. So the hazardous conditions in terms of the wind and rain, you know, lasted the better part of a day or so. And uh, so we, we ended up sheltering in place here with quite a few people. Uh, you know, thankfully, we don't have to do that all that often, but our facility is very hardened for uh, you know, hurricane proof in terms of wind. So we, we're safe here, but it's, uh, it's just a matter of you, you want everybody here who needs to be here during the event before conditions get too dangerous outside to be moving around. And then everybody stays here until the, uh, the weather starts to improve. Yeah. Now, what about this? Um, when, when a hurricane starts to come, you know, we all turn on the news and say, oh, boy, how's it going? What's the story? And they show this kind of a, a cone-shaped thing on a map. Um, are those useful to the average person on the street? <laughs> those cones of uncertainty, I guess you could call them? Yeah, they're sort of they're useful to sort of a big picture look at, you know, where the storm is, where it's forecast to go, and where the center of the storm might move over the next few days. Mm-hmm. Um, cone is drawn such that our forecast of the center of the storm should stay inside of the cone about two thirds of the time, but oh. it doesn't. The weakness about the cone graphic is it doesn't tell you anything about the hazards because it's not storm specific. The cone is the same size for every storm in the season because it's based on our historical track forecast errors. Sure. So it doesn't tell you anything about where the strong winds might be or the storm surge or the rainfall. So we have a lot of other products that focus on those individual hazards. And one thing we always like to remind people is. You don't use the cone to decide whether uh, you're at risk uh, from the storm or not, whether you're inside or outside the cone. Some people try to make that distinction, mm-hmm. and it's just not really the case. We have a lot of other information and watches and warnings that we issue that, that help people you know, figure out what kind of actions they need to take, and they can listen to their state and local emergency officials that will help them get ready as well. Yeah, speaking of that, um, of course, our network here, each of the stations has the emergency alert system. What's the linkage from you guys to uh, where we actually hear the information coming over the air? Sure. Well, at the National Hurricane Center, we issue you know hurricane, uh, storm surge, and tropical storm watches and warnings for the United States, basically the coastal areas of the United States. 
And then based on our forecast, the local National Weather Service offices throughout the country issue the tropical storm and hurricane warnings for inland areas. So depending on where you are, your you know, the information you get is still coming from the National Weather Service. It's just a matter of you know which office is actually issuing the warning. But, uh, but it's all coming from the same forecast that we make here at NHC, and that eventually works its way out through all the various dissemination methods that we have, including EAS, including you know, wireless emergency alerts you might get on your cell phone to scrolling you might see on the bottom of a television screen or something you might see on a weather app on your phone. So uh, we try to get the information out as in many ways as we can because we know people consume information in such a variety of ways these days. We have to try to be everywhere we can be. Sometimes people uh, do stupid things, if I can call it that, um, when they get nervous in the midst of a storm. What would you want to see people do as a hurricane approaches an area? Well, I think you have to start first before a hurricane even approaches an area. You know, the, the, if you're going to try to be prepared, you need to you know, assess your risk now before a storm even begins to threaten your area. Do you live in a flood-prone area where you might have to leave your home? What's the What's the wind rating on your house? Do you live in a, in a mobile home or some other structure that's not going to be safe to be in, even in uh, higher wind conditions? Uh, you know, do you have insurance? Uh, are you properly protected in that regard? Do you mm. have an emergency plan, an emergency kit? Where are you going to go if you have to leave your home? You know, how are you going to get in touch with your family? And are there friends or relatives that might have uh, you know special needs that you might need to help get ready for the storm? And then. Once the storm is coming, you know, pay attention to the forecast. Uh, we, we found that, it, you know, social sciences tell, tells us that people tend to anchor or really focus on the first piece of information they might hear about as a hazard. Mm-hmm. And then they really check back in to see how the information is changing. So you always want to check in, get the latest information, listen to what the guidance you get from your state and local emergency officials about evacuations or other preparations you might want to take. And, and certainly listen to the weather forecast information you get from the National Weather Service or from some other trusted you know, source of information about watches and warnings and what the hazards could be like in your area. And then take those appropriate precautions that you need to take at the time. Mm, helpful. Our guest today is Dr. Michael Brennan of the National Hurricane Center. Uh, what is the classification of a hurricane as a, as opposed to a to a tropical storm? Sure. Yeah, we classify tropical cyclones, which is a broader, more generic term, by their maximum sustained wind speed. So a tropical depression is a tropical cyclone that has maximum winds of less than 39 miles per hour. Mm. A tropical storm has maximum winds of between 39 and 73 miles per hour. And a hurricane uh, is a tropical cyclone that has winds of at least 74 miles per hour, Mm. sustained winds. So that's sort of the broad classification. And then within the hurricanes, uh, we have a category system called the Saffir-Simpson Hurricane Wind Scale that tells us approximately what the wind risk associated with the storm is based on its maximum sustained winds. And those uh, you know, classifications go from category one to category five. Yes. I love your emphasis on preparing ahead of time and not waiting to the last minute. Just suppose, however, that somebody didn't realize and they get themselves caught in one of these tropical storms, they're out on the road or a hurricane. Uh, any advice for how to handle that? Sure. Um, I mean, you always want to try to get to a safe place uh, where you can be out of the elements, whether it's wind or away from flooding rainfall. Uh, You don't ever want to drive into areas where water covers the road or if you think you can't see the road. Even if you think the water might not be very deep, the water, the road could be washed out. There could be a bridge that's gone. We lose a lot of people 
driving around in cars, uh, even after a storm or during a storm, driving into areas where even the road has been closed and and barricaded off. People tend to think they can make it through areas where, where it's really not safe. Uh, the other thing that we've you know seen more of in the last few years with power outages is we've lost an increasing number of people to carbon monoxide poisoning due mm. to improper generator use. Uh, we lost more people in Hurricane Laura in Louisiana to carbon monoxide poisoning, I think, than to any of the direct uh, you know forces of the storm itself. And so that's an increasing uh, you know increasing worry on our part is that we're losing people after the storm to either accidents. Uh, poisonings, electrocutions, heat, uh, you know, we, we lose people to cardiovascular incidents. People are left in areas where there may not be access to medical care or emergency services or air conditioning. And so you don't want to leave yourself in one of those vulnerable locations or, or vulnerable position after the storm as well. I know of a friend who had his house burned down because of uh, a generator he was using, and it was involved with filling it with gas while it was still running and all of that. So it's a, it's a very serious thing. Um, anything else you'd like to share with our listeners regarding the hurricane season, preparation, anything related to that? I, I think we've covered just about everything. It's just, again, you know, keep your you know, keep an eye on the weather all the time, you know, check in, see how things are going, see what we have in the tropical weather outlook. You know, again, make that plan now. You don't want to panic when a storm comes. You want to have that plan in place, have your emergency supply kit. You don't have to just have that available for hurricanes. It can be useful for any other kind of uh, disaster, natural or man-made. That You know, you always want to have that food, medicine, water, all those emergency supplies to get you through at least two or three days without, you know, emergency services or without power. Uh, you just want to make yourself as resilient and as uh, disaster-proof as possible. Hmm. You know, because of the Internet and streaming, some of our listeners uh, live in Florida. Uh, suppose yeah. they lived uh, near where you are. Is there a tour or anything that they could take in? We're still not doing tours right now because of COVID. Oh, but, yeah. Uh, Generally, in the off season, uh, in the winter months, there there are opportunities for public tours at the Hurricane Center. We usually announce those on our website at hurricanes.gov. So that would be something people could check into, uh, you know, say as we get into December, January, February timeframe next year. Yes. And um, today we've been talking with Dr. Michael Brennan. He's a Hurricane Specialist Unit Branch Chief, uh, National Hurricane Center. And, you know, I can't resist to ask you about this. One last really quick. Um, Once upon a time during one of these events, there was a, a broadcaster who was out there talking about the storm. And it's almost like he was faking the amount of wind uh, during coverage of a hurricane. And then behind him, there was these people walking, and they were just walking normally. Um, It seems like it's important not to sensationalize and yet just report the truth, right? Yeah, I think we always want to try, you know, from our perspective, we always have to stick to the science and, you know, know, provide people the facts as we know them best. There's a lot of hype. There's a lot of speculation out there. There's a lot of noise during storms, you can see things on social media, on, on television that really are not terribly helpful in getting people ready and are really designed to, to increase people's anxiety levels. So you know, we have to, from where we sit at the Hurricane Center and the Weather Service at large, we have to be sort of the calm, collected voice during a storm that people really can trust you know, and believe what we tell them because we are sticking to the science and, and, you know, everything we do is based off our best estimate of what the storm's going to do sure. and really with the goal of protecting lives and property. And if somebody would like to learn more, is there a website they can go to? 
Sure, yeah, you can go to our website at hurricanes.gov is the National Hurricane Center website, the National Weather Service. You can find your local forecast office and all the information there at weather.gov. Well, thank you very much. You've been most kind, Dr. Michael Brennan of the National Hurricane Center. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Dan. And dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer. Since we have some time left, now for some music. It's true.